Hey, it's Beth here. Okay, it was a pretty good week. Oh, it's episode 505 um, for the New York Times. Okay, the first thing, though, kind of got me riled up a little bit. So I'm in the style section where it's all romance and everything, and I love it. This is crazy. Okay, you know, I've, I've been on a rant about these people getting married after living together for 10 years, being in their 30s, even two years, three years, in their 30s, they have better appliances and better vacations and better everything than I do, okay? That was my first, you know, and then I look at the, the uh, gift list and everything is really expensive. I'm like, okay, okay, but I'm calm, I'm calm. The second one that's happened in the last two weddings I've been to, they were married last year. What am I, what are you calling this a wedding for? What? Oh, they call it a celebration. But I still have to give wedding gifts. I mean, I think I might have worn that white outfit to that one wedding. It was a sneaky, snivelly act of defiance, which is the only level of defiance I can muster. But I still, I coped in my own little fashion. This one, okay, so now couples get married and they want to go on exotic vacations and they want mommy and daddy to pay for it. And then they have friends coming. And then instead of the elaborate party that parents were paying for before with an open bar for their friends, such a highway robbery. Now they're going, their honeymoon is now called a buddy moon. And they're inviting their friends to stay with them in this big house that they rented for this love that the parents are paying for. So the honeymoon has become a buddy moon. And I am, I'm getting out. That's it, I can't take it. It's too insulting to my intelligence. It's, it's unbelievable what they think we're falling for. This level is too high. Give me a break. We're not invited to the buddy moon. Mom and dad who paid for everything aren't invited to the buddy moon. And then the parties you go to, the first till nine o'clock, everything's real nice. Then they want you to leave all the old people. They bring in their own band and they have this free for all party that you're paying for. We're getting the bums rush at these weddings and now it's a buddy moon. I'm like, give me a break. I don't even want to go to any anymore. Okay, then Norman Lear died and I was sad about it. He was 101, I think which is pretty good run. But I, had, I hadn't thought about how great he was for older women. All the women that got jobs from him. I mean, he did everything. Maude, um, Archie Bunker, the Jeffersons. Everybody was middle-aged and he made them hilarious. And it wasn't like hokey. You know, it was... It was like they were real. He actually portrayed older people in a really great way. So my hat's off to him. I just, I hadn't even thought about it. I hadn't given the guy credit for anything. Good old Norman Lear. I mean, you know, I don't know what his wife looked like. I wonder if she was his age. That would really tell me something too. But even if she wasn't, he gave a lot of, a lot of great women, a lot of great work. Okay, Ann Patchett, who's a great writer, she wrote this book called Belt Canto, which is fabulous. Anyway, in the beginning of her career, she worked for Bridal Guide magazine, 
And it's funny, in one of the episodes, she wrote every single article, this pro prolific woman, and they used different names to cover up that fact. But she did say that the best advice she ever got was from her stepmother. And her stepmother told her that the brain naturally focuses on what is wrong, what it doesn't like, towels on the floor, or somebody who interrupts, that's me, or somebody who's late, that used to be me. And so then every time your partner does that, it's just like hitting a gong, which is true. The good things by contrast often go unnoticed or forgotten, her stepmother said. It's, it is possible with practice and discipline to flip the equation, although I don't think she did it. At least she didn't do it with her first husband. But maybe she'll learn that lesson. And I think that's a great thing to learn. But I can't stand when something is out of place. It drives me out of my mind. And I have heard this thing recently where couples fight for days about whether the Christmas tree is straight enough. And they involve their children to come in and mediate and get the tree straight. And I never even thought, I, th I think every Christmas tree I've had has been straight. But I do see things, like I see, you know, if there's a bunch of flowers and one is pink and the rest are red, I wanna, I wanna strangle that flower. So, it's great about the Christmas tree. I didn't even know I was doing anything right. Do you believe Alexa? Alexa, volume down. What the heck is that music? Alexa, volume down. I feel like I'm in church. Okay, anyway, in the Wall Street Journal's magazine section, there was this article about this guy named Dave Hollis. And we met he and his wife, Rachel, through Kit's brother-in-law who worked at Disney. This guy worked at Disney and he had a fantastic job, but he quit it because one day his wife just posted on Facebook a picture of herself in a bathing suit, tiny, tiny woman. And she said, this bulge in my stomach is because I had three enormous babies. Can't get rid of it, just gonna love it. She got a bunch of hits, bunch of views. So then she wrote this book called Girl, Wash Your Face. And that's when we came in. We met them when the, they made a little documentary movie out of it. She came to Austin, was giving a speech. All these women showed up, devotees of hers to listen to this very entertaining documentary. She and her husband were there and we met them. He was so proud of her. She asked him to quit his job. He quit his job. They were, and this is before, they were moving to Dripping Springs after visiting Austin. Everything was a go, everything was great. Bigger and better and better. And finally he starts getting some fans because of the things he's saying. In the wife's book, he had she wrote a chapter about the um, horrible sex they were having. And uh, the guy got a lot of fans from people who understood how it felt because they would have two minutes for sex or she'd be really tired or whatever. And that he could handle it and he took it in stride. Well, he didn't take it in stride. He just acted like he was taking everything in stride. And then one day his daughter came out when he was talking and asked him if he could make pancakes. and. They'd actually hidden the fact that they had a um, nanny, 
I don't know where the nanny was. So he looks at her and he's like, I can't do that right now. And then he said something to her like, go get a life. And that was a joke in the family. But it got taken wrong. He lost all of his fans. Everybody turned on him. They got a divorce. I mean, everything went, to, he just freaked out. Everything went wrong. And he actually um, overdosed and is dead. And he said that being on the Truman Show is impossible, which is how he said, he said his life became like that. And when they were getting a divorce, everybody got mad at him. And he just couldn't take it and he died. Now the sad thing about the story is I met this guy and in the very beginning, before they really became famous, he was the sweetest, nicest guy with the biggest smile, best handshake. And I just think, God, maybe there is really a whole bunch wrong with the internet. But he said he just couldn't take it and he couldn't stop looking and um, he had been an alcoholic, but he was cleaned up, but he kind of got addicted to the likes and dislikes, which I imagine happens, plus it affects your income. So he said, you know, I just wanted to get off the Truman Show. And I did hate that movie. It came before all of these people are checking everything all the time. And I did think that would be a horrible way to live, but that's how everyone lives now. So it's kind of scary. Anyway, um, it's very sad to me. I couldn't believe when I was reading the article that I actually knew these people. And um, so that was very sad. Then there was an article about the empty seat at the holiday table, which a lot of people are feeling, not just me, and um, that you can honor it. And this year, our brother-in-law, brother my brother-in-law died and his, his wife is coming in where we have Brett's stocking up and we're keeping his stocking up. And that's how we choose to do it. Everybody chooses to do it in different ways. But you need to do whatever you think is right and not let anybody tell you you're crazy because you're not. They don't know how you feel. They don't know what your life was like. They don't know what the stocking meant to you. My stocking for Brett was actually made by my friend Debbie who died. I've, it's sacred to me. Nobody knows that. They're just looking on the mantle and seeing a stocking. They don't have a right to judge. So tell everybody to just, you know, leave you alone. So then there's another one. This was great. Tinsley Mortimer, who was this huge socialite in New York during the days of Sex and the City. She was at every single party in the world. Anyway, the parade passed her by. She never got married. And now she's like, oh my gosh, like she's 48. She still looks great. But she found this guy who's 40. He really looks nice. He's got three little kids, his wife died. And she's gonna take over and be their mother. And they really like her. So Tinsley Mortimer is getting a second chance at life. But the parade passed her by because she was looking for Mr. Wright. She was a little too full of herself. She thought she was great. Nobody's great. And you shouldn't look for somebody who's great because nobody's great. So anyway, lots of boyfriends, lots of everything, lots of high drama, lots of self-indulgence. And so she moved back to her hometown in the South. And she, got a, she, she met this guy, got set up with him. He looks like a teenager, but he's actually 40. The kids look amazing. They've got a mother now. So that's actually a super happy, good ending. She's never been happier in her, happier in her life. 
She's thrilled to be out of New York. She just couldn't take the pressure of trying to be cool every single day, which, I mean, I can't even imagine being cool one day, let alone every single day. Yuck. So then in the obituaries, which is always where I run, um, run to Betty Rollin, who back in the 70s wrote this book called First You Cry. It was about breast cancer is the only book that ever came out on that subject. Back in the 70s, people didn't talk about anything. If you had a problem, you had to keep it inside. It was impolite to mention it. She comes out with that breakthrough book. She goes on the circuit, she's talking, and then she goes back on the circuit when her mother wants to have an assisted suicide. And she's telling, she told her daughter and all of her friends, look, I've got a very painful cancer. I don't want to live through it. I can't take it. Let me go out with a bang. Please let me do this. So Betty made, made it possible and she wrote a book about it. So anyway, it's like a really long article, half a page, and I'm just relaxing into the article. I forgot she's dead because it's so well written. She actually, her husband died two years ago. She said she wasn't useful anymore. She hadn't, she couldn't do anything. She couldn't give any more. And so she actually had an assisted suicide too by her friends. She didn't leave anyone behind. All of her family was gone. She had a couple of friends. And I just think it's amazing. It's kind of, uh, she's ahead of her time in a lot of ways. So, but I was sad she was gone. And I hadn't thought about her in 40 years, but you know, it is just sad. So anyway, here's the big one. How to avoid being boring at 60. Okay, guess what? Rob Lazebnik, who wrote this, is a young man. I don't want to entertain Rob Lazebnik. I don't care what he thinks. I'm not pouring to people my age. I'm right on target with people my age. Why do I want to entertain him? Plus, he's boring to me. All he talks about is video games. I don't care. And every show he knows and every act he's talking about and everything he thinks, everything he's read, I've never heard of it. He's boring. So, forget this article. I mean, they've got things in it that I'm supposed to scuba dive. I'm supposed to go to um, clubs where I can dress up like a dog. I'm supposed to make hilarious things happen like get up and be the stewardess and tell people how to wear their life vest. I will be kicked off the plane. Maybe that's entertaining for you, Rob Lezentic, but I don't care what you think. I'm never going to make it with you. I don't even want to. I don't want to know half of what you know. I don't care about it. You don't care about me. But guess what, Rob? You're boring. In fact, I want to write an article, How to Avoid Being Boring When You're Under 40. I want to, I want to write that article, okay? Just so let me alone, Rob. When I found out how old he was and the things he wanted me to do, gosh, like go hiking in Yellowstone? I'd make it like half a block. Give me a break. My bunions are screaming just thinking about it. Rob, go, go home. Your mother should have told you never to even think about such an article. Okay, here's one. Be your own good luck charm, okay? So it's, it's written by this young woman. She's absolutely gorgeous. This woman, her name is Laura Knight, right? She had this great chance to be a big Hollywood writer-producer, and she was scared out of it. Now, I get that. I get that. 
I get she was nervous. I, I get, you know, all of that. But this is what she turns it. So she turns it. I'm supposed to write all this down, right? And and follow her lead. She launched she launched a mermaid themed trading card game and made millions of dollars. How in God's name? That's not luck. That's that's somebody with millions of dollars giving you millions of dollars. A mermaid themed trading cards? Like, where? Where is this happening? So, that's that article about luck. Give me a break. Everybody in it is young, beautiful. They had many opportunities and they chose one. Okay, that's not luck. That's like, uh, you know, you've got a roulette wheel with 30 opportunities for you because you're so fantastic. And you pick, this is what they did, the least, the one where it made the least money. But somehow, it works for you, okay? I don't call that luck. I call finding a $100 bill on the sidewalk luck. You know, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a person. If I went to a bank, oh gosh, this would be great. I go to a bank, right? I've done all the hard work. Or uh, investors, yeah, yeah. I go to one of those, uh, one of those great big buildings, right? Walk in, and I'm like 70. You should see me. Um, and I've got this idea for mermaid-themed trading cards. What do you think is going to happen to me? How long do you think that meeting is going to last? I'm going to get escorted out of that building by some nice man who pities me. Like, give me a break. I want to see, I want to see an article about how not to be boring after you're 60, written by 60-year-olds. I want to, I want to know how to make it even better, you know, with my age group. And then I want to, I want to read an article about good luck, great luck, how to have better luck when you're over 70. Oh my gosh! Now that would be a book I would actually buy if they could figure out one way, just one time that I could have luck after 70, it would be amazing. So, it's just these young people are unbelievable. Okay, The Secrets to Finding Love Over 60. This is also written by a very young woman. I guess she's she wants her mother to uh, have someone else to be with. Okay, so um, the way you do it is you're fantastic looking, okay? You're absolutely fantastic looking. And um, you live in an, an amazing community. Like uh, this person lives at the base of Stratton in Vermont, which is this unbelievable area. Or maybe you live in Hilton Head. These people are not, they're not living in Maynard, Texas, or Dimebox, Texas, or any of those small towns in Texas, finding love, okay? And these are, these are amazing stories of fantastic people with fantastic histories, fantastic stories, and they're all in good shape and they're all hiking. I'm like, really? Come on. And it's probably 12 people in the whole country and they found each other. What? I mean, talk about easy, easy. That's easy to find someone like that, a partner. What about the lady who's, you know, in that little grocery cart that's a wheelchair? Really nice person. Really, really nice. Um, clipping coupons, trying to make it. 
trying to make it work for a week. Where's her partner? All these people that they're hooking up with in this magazine article, they're over, they're wealthy. They're all wealthy. They're all in perfect shape. No illness, no nothing. Yeah, those are the 12 that are gonna make it. Come on. I'm just like, does this really work for anybody? I guess it's, oh, it's young people looking at it and then they call up their mother and they're like, what's wrong with you, mom? I just read an article about the secret to finding love after 60. She would, she said, she should say to him, you actually read the article? Go, yeah. I'm going to read the article and I'm going to call you back in an hour. She calls him back in an hour and they have a long chat about the article and guess what? He didn't read it. He read the first paragraph. He skimmed it and he found out that all 12 of these people were happy. She is going to call him back and he never read that article, but they're gonna feel like they read that article and they're gonna feel like they can talk to you like that. Don't let it happen. Oh, yes. So, this is a good one, okay? I'm gonna do a podcast because I need it on how to have conversations over Christmas. Nice conversations that don't offend anybody. I, I haven't figured it out yet. It's I'm doing research, very hard to find. But I did find this article on firing back in the battle of wits. You know, when people say mean things to you and they think it's funny. Okay, so here's here's one. If someone is being rude, Schwenk, that's her name she had to go to to uh, middle school with, Schwenk was her name, like Schwenky. I'm sure she got, she got it bad then. Okay, she's cute though. Karina Schwenk wrote this. And she said, if, being, if someone is being rude, Schwenk responds with, good for you. She once said it to a friend after Schwenk confided she was getting a divorce. And the friend said, this is what her friend said? Well, my marriage is better than ever. That's not your friend. Okay? Karina, you got to make new friends. That is your enemy. That is a person pushing you down when you're down. Kicking you like a dog when you're down. That is the opposite of a friend. That's actually somebody that can hurt you very badly. Okay? So, uh, make new friends. That's what I'd tell her if I was in charge of this article. Okay? So, she thinks that was the best thing ever that she said, good for you. I'm thinking, I might have, I might have been angry if someone had said that to me. Because basically I'm angry anyway because I'm getting a divorce. But somebody actually says to you, well, my marriage is better than ever. I don't, I don't think, okay, there's, there's only, okay, so this whole article is pretty bad, right? Really pretty bad. But there is one that is pretty good. Okay, this woman says, don't even respond. Don't be nasty. She says, don't get in the mud with pigs. The pigs love it, and you'll just get dirty. That's motherly advice, and that is very good. Okay, but here's a short and sweet one. The only thing in this entire article, so you don't have to read it at all. I've read it for you. Okay, so here it is. Somebody says something really mean to you, like, um, I don't even know, like like that, uh, or something about what you're wearing, or that you're, that you, like, you didn't understand something, or I always do this, I say, I don't know what you mean. And they look at me like, how could you not know what I mean? Don't you know what blah, blah, blah is? Well, or anything where they tell you you look that you, you don't look fat in the dresser, or just some snide remark 
People do it. I can never respond to it. I can't even remember the exact words people use, but you know what I'm talking about. So there's one that's a pretty good one because you can't remember how to respond because you're so shook up and so upset. So there's one and it goes, like you look at the person and they think they're being funny at your expense, clever making a joke about you. You just look at them and you go, oh, got it. Mm. Like it's not even funny. So the psychiatrists call this the gray rock. I don't know why they call it the gray rock, but the psychiatrists call it the gray rock method because it works particularly well with people who may be trying to provoke you. Okay, so what you're you're actually saying to them when you say, oh, got it, mm, is I don't feel uncomfortable, I'm not affected, and it's not funny. And then you just walk away if you can, or you wait to see what they come up with next. But you're like, ew, not even funny, mm, I got it. And you just say, it's a gray rock, baby. Oh, got it. Mm, like that. Gray rock. I'm going to try it. I am going to try it. Because they've got all these other ones like, you You look like you could use a hug, or I hope your day gets better. That's not going to work for someone who's mean. They're going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you're just as dumb as dirt saying that. But if you act like you, you get it and you don't think it's funny, and you don't think it's right, and you don't think anything of it, that's a great rock. So I'm gonna try if I can just not cry. I'm gonna try to do the gray rock and say, mm, got it, mm, and just walk away. It might be a tool. I might get one tool in my toolbox. I have this toolbox that's been empty all these years. That might be something, if I can remember, just gray rock. Oh, got it. I'm going to try it. Or even if you get a terrible table in a restaurant or you don't want the terrible table in the restaurant and the waitress looks at you like, really? Like, you have to sit there. You don't look good. You're not pretty. You're not young. You just look at her like you understand what she's saying without saying it. Like when she looks at you like that, like, ew. And you go, hmm, got it. Mm. Oh, got it. Mm, I've got to get it right. Oh, got it. Mm. And then you say, would you show me to the to the table I'm asking for? I'm gonna do it. I want to go out now. I want to get out of my, my bathrobe. I want to put some lipstick on. I want to go out and I want to pull off the gray rock. Oh my God! All I have to do is walk outside. Somebody does this to me every time I go out. I'm gonna try it. Power to the gray rock. I'm gonna try it. Oh, got it. Mm. And then I'm gonna ask for the booth. I'm just going to go right back to what I wanted. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be destroyed. I'm going to do it. Oh my gosh. This is great. I didn't believe in it until this very moment. I thought other people might be able to do it and I won't be able to. But just saying gray, gray rock three times, it's almost like Dorothy with her shoes and wanting to go home. Gray rock, gray rock, gray rock. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm going to do it wish me luck. I want to stay sane and I will be back. Thanks.